few moments. Let's take our Bible if we could. Thank you, Howard family. That was tremendous. I didn't know they were going to sing that. That's great. Luke chapter 16 this morning is our Bible reading. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. I'd like to read responsibly this morning. That means I'll read the odd-numbered verses beginning in verse number 19. Would you please read with me in, together verse 20 in the succeeding even-numbered verses through the end of the chapter. Again, that's Luke chapter 7, 16. In verses 19 through 31, and reading responsibly, in respect to the reading of the Word of God, if you're able to stand once again, I invite you to stand. Luke 16, 19 through 31, and reading responsibly. There was a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate, full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, And seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented." Beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us, that world may from them. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send me to my father's house. For I five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, rather Abraham, but from the dead they will repent. Excuse me. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. May God have his blessings in the reading of his word. Let's make our prayer. Heavenly Father, on this Thanksgiving weekend, pray, Lord, you might unite our hearts, first of all, in thanksgiving and praise. Lord, I pray that you speak to every heart, dear God. Maybe there's those that need to receive Christ as Savior today. Holy Spirit, have your will and way in touching hearts, and we'll thank you for what you're going to do. Speak to every Christian heart, I pray, as well. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn to what I believe is probably the only pulpit, not bragging or boasting, but... My guess is the only pulpit in Connecticut that's preaching from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31 this morning. I think that's a pretty safe bet. I was planning on preaching on something else this coming Sunday morning. I'm going to save that, Lord willing, for next Sunday. I'll explain that later. But uh, something the preacher said last Sunday spoke to my heart so loud. I said, I've got to preach on that. And so you're getting the message this morning from a very sobering passage of Scripture. Our text verse is verse 25. Most of you are familiar with the story, the account not the parable. But in verse 23, Jesus said, and in hell. 
and in hell. Hell no, some say. Hell yes. Jesus said hell. But verse 25. And Abraham said, that's to the rich man, son, he was a son of the, he was a Jewish man. Remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things. And likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted for the last nearly 2,000 years. And thou are presently tormented. I admit this morning hell is not a popular subject. Hell is a subject that's not popular even in Christian pulpits nowadays. I have it on good authority that there's churches of our stripe and color that no longer preach on hell, especially on a Sunday morning. I'd rather not do it. I'm not throwing stones. And in fact, my message is not on hell proper per se, but we'll get to the point here in a few minutes, a few moments, but most preachers won't preach on it at all. Many deny it. I have to call them, they're well-intentioned. I get a handwritten letter from a Jehovah Witness. I call them Jehovah False Witnesses. They wrote me a handwritten letter, Dear Martin and Sandra, to my house last week from the Kingdom Hall people. They don't believe in hell. Churches of Christ, Congregationalist churches across uh, New England don't believe in hell. That's not bashing, throwing stones, it's just being blunt, just being honest. In fact, not only do they not believe in it, but they mock the idea. We have a lot of Americans that want to believe in the heaven, but they don't believe in hell. And uh, many say you should never speak on it, and if you do, you should, you should water it down, no pun intended. But I want you to know that Jesus Christ spoke on hell. The title of our message this morning, and I stole this from... I asked Brother Shoemaker after the service, I said, that you mentioned about heaven and hell on earth. I'd love to preach on that. I didn't ask him what his text was. I chose my text this morning. But I want to preach on heaven and hell on earth. I would not say that hell is on earth by any stretch of the imagination, but I would say that earth is hellish sometimes. I don't know if you had a chance to read the bulletin yet or read the word from the pastor there. I said that 2020 has been a tough year. In my personal opinion, it's been the toughest year of my personal life. You would, some would disagree or some would agree with me. I'm sure many would probably agree, but I didn't live during, none of us in this room lived during World War I. I saw a commentary, documentary a few weeks ago on the trench warfare, of course, in Argonne Forest and the, the, the fields of Marseille, France, and other places Germans and Americans and French and locked in bitter warfare, of course, and then the nerve gas and the, the horrors of World War One, and then the war then would end all wars. Then we had World War Two. I know Brother Rich is upstairs. I guess I could take liberties, and I, I say that 2020 has been a tough year. But Brother Rich's parents, 90 something years old, they're still alive. They they grew up in a place called Poland. In the 1930s and early 40s, do I need to say more? They saw things that make 2020 look like a great year, look like Disneyland. And so I never 
as tough as this year has been, as tough as Earth has been and, and planet Earth has been in these last years, I never grew up with the horrors of communism, at least not under Trotsky or Lenin or Stalin or Mao Zedong, that many of our kids don't even know who those names mean or who, who they are. And one murder is uh, horrific, but a million murders is a statistic. The hundreds of millions of people have been killed during the communism just in the last century alone. I've never known what it's like to live in North Korea, neither of you. I've just seen it on documentaries on TV. I would say that Earth is not hell, but I would say that Earth can be hellish. There are hellish places on, on planet Earth. But I know I've heard this several times over the years and going back a number of years ago, not the last time I heard it, but trying to explain to somebody the gospel of Christ and explain that there's a heaven and hell and somebody smart aleck, usually in a smart aleck tone in a sarcastic way, say, this is hell on earth. <sighs> Pastor, or Brother Shoemaker, rather, made this statement yesterday, last Sunday and I re reiterated talked about the tale of two people, and that's the message this morning proper. I want to talk about there's really only two types of people in all the world, the saved and the unsaved, the lost and those that have been found by Jesus Christ or those that have received Christ as Savior. I had a funeral, which is a regular standard fair. People, I met a lot of people that said, and they, they, I said to them, I had a funeral yesterday, and they usually say something like, oh, I'm sorry. It's what I do as a pastor. 400 plus, working on 500 funerals. I was at Hillside Cemetery. I had a double funeral on Monday. I'm guessing that the people will not listen to this broadcast on the internet, so I'm taking chances. It's a husband and wife. The one was saved, the other was not saved. One, the saved family's members, they all came to the funeral. The unsaved members, not one was there. They didn't want to have a Christian funeral. It was that hillside there and a simple burial. And so I just eulogized the one. I said that their loved one was in heaven because they'd received Christ as their savior. I left off the other subject of the other person that didn't want to be identified as a Christian. And so I want to just give you two things we found in our text as we examine just two main verses of our this story, this account. Not a parable, I don't believe, for Jesus would not have used a specific name. He talked about a certain rich man and a certain man named Lazarus. But verses 19 and 20, notice with me, please, this morning here. I would say this this morning. For those that say hell is on earth. Life is what you make it. And there are many people that, the Bible says that in verse number 19, there was a certain rich man which is clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. For the unsaved life on earth is heaven. For the unsaved life on earth is heaven. You say, what do you mean by that, preacher? The best it ever gets for an unsaved person is their three score and ten. The one person I buried on Monday was 60, 76, the other was 78. They lived a fairly long life, both of them. But our life is but a vapor. We're here today and gone tomorrow. I want you to know if you're here this morning, and I'm not trying to be harsh, I'm just being factual. If you don't believe in being saved or being born again, if you've never been saved or born again and never been 
become a Christian, if you don't believe in Christianity, don't believe in Christ and the new birth, the best your eternity ever will be is in your three score and ten right now. This is as good as it gets right now. I want you to notice three things about the rich man. By the way, he's not in hell because he was rich, but the Bible calls him rich. And if you're here and you're unsaved this morning, I, you, I want you to know this is the best heaven that you'll ever experience. And you are as rich as you'll ever be. You're as rich as you'll ever be. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, please, to Luke chapter 12, just back a few pages in your Bible. Jesus gave another story. Luke chapter 12 and verse number 16. This time he speaks a parable, an earthly story with a heaven and application. And he spake a parable unto them, and saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. In Luke chapter 16, we read about a certain rich man. Here we read about a parable of a certain rich man. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall, notice the first person singular uh, pronoun, several times in the next three verses. What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and, uh, and, and my goods. And I will say unto my soul, soul thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine, eat, eat, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, verse 20, thou fool, this night uh, thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? It's all right to be rich. In fact, if you've got to be, have a choice between being rich and being poor, be rich. It's a better choice, a better option, I promise you. We're going to a rich heaven, for the record, you that are saved. But for the unsaved people, this is as rich as it gets. It said, I, I Googled how many billionaires are in the world today. The answer, according to Google, who's always all-knowing and all right, so there are over 2,000 billionaires on planet Earth. The top five, the top ten, I just wrote down the top five. The top five richest people in the world. The first guy, his name is Jeff Bezos. He might own a little shop called Amazon. He's worth $140 billion at the end of 2019, according to, I guess, Forbes. A guy named Bill, Bill uh, something, Bill, Bill Gates, I guess it is. He's worth $90 billion. Amancio Ortega, never heard of him. Third richest man in the world. And then a guy named Mark Zuckerberg. I know one thing about rich men. I'm happy that they're rich. I have no, no jealousy and so forth. But when I went to Hillside for the hundredth time, I noticed all these cemeteries, all these gravestones. Some are big, some are huge, some are just little placards, little markers, some flush with the ground. We were at a very humble tombstone, if you call it that, I guess, a mark, grave marker, smaller than this pulpit here. This, this, this part of the desk, just flush with the, the earth. But there are some massive monuments. And there's tens of thousands of people buried at Hillside. You notice one thing, whether rich or poor, they're all dead. Rich man dies and a poor man dies. And so the unsaved man, God bless him for having riches. There's nothing wrong with having riches. You don't go to hell because you're rich. You go to hell because you're not saved. But back in Luke chapter 16, we see in verse number 19 that not only was he rich, and you're richer than you ever, you'll ever be in all eternity if you're not saved, you're right now in your heaven on earth. But you're as high as you'll ever be. The Bible says that the rich, rich man was clothed in purple and fine linen. 
Now, once again, if you if you you can be clothed in royalty and great, you know, beautiful clothes or or grave clothes, you want to have beautiful clothes, of course. Nothing wrong with that. But you're as high as you ever be. I know this. I'm guessing that a lot of people knew who this rich man was. He was popular. He was well known. I heard the other day, you know, the pop, most popular woman in the world, the most well-known woman in the world, no joke, who would that be? Michelle Obama. I don't know who said that, but you're absolutely right. Michelle Obama is the most popular woman in the world. I was shocked to hear the second most popular woman in the world. You know who it is? No joke. No, I'm not making anything up here, according to I don't know, Time Magazine or whoever does that. Oprah. Oprah that, you are wrong. That's what I thought. I, I, that's why I said, and I got the buzz just on Jeopardy. No, it's not Oprah. Are you ready? Drum roll, please. Angelina Jolie. Who said that? You're right. Yes. <laughs> Second most popular person and woman in the world is Angelina Jolie. A Hollywood walk of stars. She's a Hollywood actress. You could call her Hollywood something else, but I won't. I'm, I'm a preacher. I won't call her that. So. Hollywood has their walk of stars. Sports has their Hall of Fames. We've had Bernie Carbo behind this pulpit. How many, know who, how many don't know who Bernie Carbo is? Be honest. Uh, don't, oh, some of you are lying to me, but anyhow, he's, <laughs> he's a famous baseball player. Famous Red Sox, playing the greatest game ever played. In a few years, the kids, many kids have no clue who Bernie Carbo is, and they won't know who he is 10 years from now. And Boston Red Sox fans won't even know who he is. His name will be lost in obscurity. The world has in academia and sports and medicine and Hollywood and, and actors and actresses, they have their hall of heroes. Nothing wrong with being popular or being well-known. But let me ask you, are you known of God? 1 Corinthians 8, 3 says, But if any man love God, the same is known of him. I saw the picture of Andrew Phipps and he's shaking at Christmas time, his buddy's hand, Mike Pence. He might know Mike Pence, but I know Jesus Christ. But you're as high as you ever get on planet Earth. If you're not unsaved, you're, you're, you're as rich as you'll ever be. Back to Luke chapter 19, verse number, or 16, verse 19, one more time. The Bible says of this rich man, this unsaved man that had heaven on Earth, that he was rich, he was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. You are not only as rich as you ever be if you're not saved. Here on your planet earth in heaven, uh, your version of heaven. You're as high as you ever be, but you're, you're thirdly, you're as blessed as you ever be. I, I said, I've said it many times this year already, this year's been tough. Do I need to say that again? I don't think so. Probably don't want me to ever say it again. But I would say, as tough as this year has been, I can't remember a year where we've had as good a weather as we had this year. The weather's been fantastic. Look at the day out there. It's a gorgeous day. I remind you, it's like the second last day of November. God's been good to us. He gives the rain to the saint and the sinner, both. He makes the sun shine on both. God's blessed us. I mean, as tough as things could be, we could live in Iran this morning. Or or Russia, or, or Afghanistan, or you start to name the names of Oman, or Yemen, or on and on it could go, a Muslim country, where it's proselyting in the name of Jesus Christ to get your head cut off, literally. 
But we live in America. God's been so good to us. And we're blessed every single day. As bad as things are in America maybe right now, they're still, still the best country on the face of the earth. We're blessed. An unsaved person is blessed. They're blessed. They don't realize it, but I'm going to tell you one reason why unsaved people are blessed. They're blessed because of you and I. Because of the salt of the earth and the light of the world, Christians. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people who put their trust in him. And so there's only two types of people in all the world. and There's heaven and hell on earth, if you will. And there's heaven on earth for the unsaved person. There's riches there will ever be. There's high as there will be. There's blessed as there will be. But how about verse number 20? How about notice with me Lazarus for a moment. Another, another person. I want you to notice that Lazarus was not, not in heaven because he was poor. But evidently he had received the Savior, Messiah as his Savior. There was a certain rich man, or a certain, certain beggar, excuse me, verse 20, named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate, the rich man's gate, full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs from the table, or the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. I want you to notice, when, for the saved, life on earth is, in a lot of ways, what you make it. Life on earth is what you make it. I mean, some Christians that are miserable Christians. We, we create our own heaven and our own hell on earth. The Bible says in Psalm 19 and ver- 90 and verse number 9, we spend, all our days are sp- uh, spent in thy wrath. We spend our, years as, our, our days as a tale that is told. Everybody has a story. Everybody is writing your chapters of your book right now. Some people have a fairy tale story. Some people have a wonderful story, a story of courage, a story of strength, a story of blessing. Some people have a story, not so much, of sadness and frustration and hardness and so forth. And Lazarus, didn't, he didn't bequeath himself to be a leper. He was obviously a leper. He was unclean. He didn't wish that upon himself. He didn't to get too socially close to somebody and get contract leprosy. Just by the luck of the draw, he was a leper. It just happened. God knows. But he didn't, he didn't have any control over that. You don't have any control over some things that happened. And three things about Lazarus that is true about every saved person in, in regards to eternity, this earth and eternity. And that is, number one, you're as poor as you'll ever be right now. As a child of God, you're as poor as you'll ever be. We are saints. I'm talking about saved people that have been born again, been saved. We are saints of the Most High God. We are, we are rich in Christ Jesus. We're blessed in, in, to be Ephesians 1, 3 and Ephesians 3, 8, two verses, text verses. Ephesians 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. We're blessed beyond belief. The Bible says, I have not seen, nor ear hath heard, nor hath entered in the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. You have no idea where we're going. We're going to a place that we can't even, there's not even words to describe how wonderful heaven is. I have to be careful here, but I've used two illustrations. I'm somewhat of a, small, semi-world traveler. I've been to India and I've been to Hawaii. Let me let you on a little secret. If you get, get to live in India or live in Hawaii, you want to take Hawaii every time, I promise you. I'm not trying to be facetious. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not cascading. I'm just telling you, take it from somebody that knows by authority. I've seen it with my eyes. 
in a poor, I've seen the poorest of the poor, and I've seen some of the richest of the rich. We'll have unsearchable riches of Christ later, Ephesians 3, 8, but we have them now. We're rich in Christ now. I go back to our billionaire class. Anybody here, any Christian here, trade your life with Jeff Bezos? I waited for somebody to raise their hand. Somebody say, I, 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 I take it. Give me just one billion, not 140 billion, one billion would be enough. I think I could survive off that. But we're, we're as poor as we'll ever be right now. We're going to a rich man's heaven because we're kings of the, or children of the prince of peace. So we're as poor as we'll ever be. We're not, letter B, we're not only as poor as we'll ever be right now on this so-called hell on earth, which is far from hell. That's why we make it. It's heaven for the Christian that's praising the Lord. We enter his gates with thanksgiving into his courts with praise. But the Bible says that Lazarus twice in verses 19 and 20 that he was full of sores. You're a sores you'll ever be. Full of sores. Life is short and painful. I have to be careful. You that know what I'm talking about, please don't say the last name. I could tell you the last name and I know her well. I knew her well. I now know she's in heaven, but I think of Donna used to be wheeled in a wheelchair right over here many years ago now and back at the old church building. Donna, I could give you her last name. I was her primary, I was her, uh, what do you call it, not caregiver, but I was her uh, guardian, thank you. I was signed over as her guardian. Spent last years of her life in Valerie Manor, a nursing home. Donna always had a smile on her face. About all she could do, because from her neck down, she couldn't move. She, she was uh, in the last stages of, for many years of her life. Uh, Donna, who I'm talking about, was, was a fairly well-to-do lady. Had three ha- houses, by the way. Had a very successful husband. And I have to be careful, and please, I'm being elusive, a little bit elusive on purpose. I think their relatives are still alive. Donna contracted M muscular dystrophy and a slow descent downhill for 20 years. And I was assigned to be her, what's that word, Linda, help me out again again? Guardian, guardian, I was thinking another word, but that's, that'll work. And uh, I didn't know at that time, I was just a dumb preacher, young preacher in my 40s. <laughs> I didn't know what DNR even meant, Harley, at that time. But she had a DNR order, do not resuscitate. And I remember when that day came. And they called me. I said, resuscitate her. Of course I did. I did. And this happened again the second time. And, and I said, yeah, do what you got to do. Get her alive. You know, make her, take, take, her, take care of her. And then I realized I was kind of chided. I was brought into a room and I was told by somebody that was very careful and realized that my, what my job was that when she stops being able to function on her own that she wants to go that was her wishes and so I reluctantly said okay and the days went by Donna was full of sores and she went but every pain every sickness, every malady every discomfort every handicap that we'll ever have in all of our eternities now. 
later, no more. For former things to be passed away. Lazarus was full of sores for how long? 40 years? 50 years? 30 years? We don't know how old he was. The Bible doesn't say. He was as poor as he'd ever be in all his eternity. But thirdly, I want you to notice that as he laid and begged at the rich man's gate, that we're scorned. If you're here, you're saved, you're a child of God. You're as scorned as you'll ever be in your life. You're as despised as you'll ever be. Christians in general, if you live for the Lord, the Bible says, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I find it amazing, but uh, I've never tried to hurt people in my life. I can honestly be truthful with that. There's some people I would like to hurt. I admit that part. But uh, none of them are in this room, and none of them name the name of Christ. And I'm not anybody's enemy. Where the Bible says, love your enemies. But there's some people that think that uh, I'm out to hurt them. Preachers are in general. Christians are in general. You've got people at work that think you're, they're, you're their arch enemy. Keep that Christianity stuff away from me. I don't want to have anything to do with it. Paul only desired, that's Paul, that's Saul of Tarsus, Paul the Apostle. He only wanted to help people. But in 1 Corinthians 4, verses 9 through 13, let me just spot read some of the verses. He said, for we are made a spectacle unto the world and the angels and the men. We're despised, we're looked at queerly, if you will. 1 Corinthians 4.10, we are fools for Christ's sake. He went on to say, say that we are despised. Even into this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place. 1 Corinthians 4.12, Paul said, in labor working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Some people think you're the worst person that you have at your place of work. Some, some of you have relatives that think you're, you're, not, you're not hitting on all eight cylinders for sure. You're, 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 you're weird and you're oppressive and you're mean because you're a Christian. And you preach uh, things that are inconvenient truths. So heaven, which is not an inconvenient truth, but a hell that's an inconvenient truth. 1 Corinthians 4.13, being defamed, Paul said, we entreat, we encourage. We are made the filth of this world and are the offscouring of all things unto this day. Some people have a, such a little, so low opinion of Christianity and of uh, the followers of Christ that if they could, they would kill them. And there's some nations that do that, by the way, some people that do that. But I want to give you just rapid fire, and we're not, it's not the, we'll come back here. I'm going to give you seven, seven things in hell that should be in church, according to our text. Seven things that should, that are in hell, real hell, that should be in real church. First of all, we'll notice verse number 23. The Bible says, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. We, the first thing that should be in every church that's already in hell is the reality. It's reality. Hell is a real place. You say, how do you know, preacher? You've never been there. Neither of you. I ask you, some of you don't want to admit you've been to Hawaii, but I've been to Hawaii now once. I'd like to go again. Probably won't ever go again, but I'd like to go again. If you want to pay my bill, well, I'll, I'll, I'll go. You want to go again? Do I want to go to India again? I was scheduled to go and it got canceled, which I'm kind of thankful for. That's okay. But just because you haven't been to a place doesn't mean it's not real. Hell's real. Jesus said so. 
You have no right to believe in heaven if you don't believe in hell. If you believe the glories of heaven, you've got to believe the, torture, the torments of hell. In hell, hell's reality. Everybody that goes to, that goes there knows it's, re, knows it's real. Not only is there, should the reality of hell be in churches as it is in hell, but the tears in hell should be in churches as well. Look at verse 24. And he cried, the rich man cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. There was tears and the Bible says there should be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We've got away from, we've got a Christianity today that has no room for tears, just for happiness and joy and jokes. We have preachers, and I, I always kind of envy preachers that can be funny. I'm not funny. I'd love to be funny if I could, but I can't, so I won't. <sighs> Some say funny looking, I suppose, but not <laughs> But we don't want to have tears. We want to have laughter. We don't want to have tears. The Bible says in Jude, and some have compassion, making a difference. His Lord says he takes all our, puts all our tears in a bottle. We ought to have tears of repentance. Second Corinthians talks about that. Tears of repentance. There's tears of repentance in hell, but it's too late. There's a great gulf fixed. So in hell, like in churches, there's, it's, hell's a reality to every person in hell. It's, it has tears. Thirdly, verse 25, notice it's remembrance. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime, in thy lifetime, in thy long life, where you were rich and had fine linen and dwelt sumptuously every day, you received good things. Remember those days? We, we ought to remember that we only have what, one life to live for Christ. We ought to live for Christ now. We, we were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in our body and in our soul, which is Christ. We only work for the night is coming when no man can work. It's, hell, church ought to be a place of remembrance, like hell is a place of remembrance. Fourthly, it ought to be a place of separation. This is a called out assembly, by the way, in verse number 26. The Bible says there's, a, there's besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which could pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come forth or come from, come from thence. The Bible does not speak of a purgatory. The Bible speaks of a place called heaven and a place called hell after we die. There's no middle ground. There's separation forever and ever. We're going to be separated. The saints will be separated from the lost forever and ever in a place called heaven. But now we need to live a separated life and call people to come to Christ. Verse 27, a fourth thing that ought to be in, or fifth thing that ought to be in churches is in, is in hell. The Bible says, then he said, the rich man said, I pray thee. I'm begging thee. I'm asking thee. I'm imploring thee. I pray thee, its prayers should be in heaven, or it should be in church. We should pray. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I pray thee, therefore, Father, that's Father Abraham, that thou wouldst send, send him, Lazarus, to my father's house. So there's prayers. But then number six, there's desire. The desire of those in hell. Verse 20, 28 it is, actually. For I have five brethren that, that he may 
testify unto them, lest they also come unto this place of torment. The best evangelists, best missionaries are in hell, but they can't be heard. They're not, their prayers are not answered. It's the desire. In Romans 10.1, Paul said, Brethren, my heart's prayer and desire for Israel is that they might be saved. We have a desire that men be, might be saved. The Bible says, and some having compassion, making a difference. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. God's called us to pray for those, have a desire for those that are not saved to be saved. But then verses 29 to 31 here, hang with me, you're almost done. Abraham said unto him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went into them from the dead, they will repent. How many have heard, and you've all heard, of people that have come back from the dead, supposedly. They, they, they died on the operating table, and they came back to life, supposedly. Usually they see a bright light, and they saw heaven, and so forth, supposedly. At least that's what many claim. And, and some see hell, but very few see hell. But they come back to life. And the Bible says, if they came, one came back from life, they will believe. Well, Jesus came back from life, we celebrate the resurrection. And people still don't want to believe him. Verse number 31, and he said unto them, if they will hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. We not have in heaven, or rather in church, what hell already has, and that's its belief. Belief in the Bible, to be the word of God. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. And so, in way of review, there's only two types of people on the earth. Those that are unsaved or lost. And for them, hell or on earth here, it's heaven for them, the best that they'll ever have, the richest they'll ever be, the highest they'll ever be, the most blessed they'll ever be. For the saved, in our three score and ten, we're the poorest there will ever be, the sorest there will ever be, the sickest there will ever be, and the most scorned there will ever be. But I know this, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 says, For our light affliction is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not, which are, are not seen are eternal. I close with an illustration and give an application if I could. I had a great childhood. I really did, and I'll be brief with this. I grew up in country Ohio. Grew up next door in my grandmother's house. I, we used to live in my grandmother's house. My grandmother didn't have a toilet until I was 15 years of age. We lived in a broken down, my sister and I shared a bedroom. It was the kitchen. We had no running water in the kitchen. We were poor, but we didn't know we were poor. We were rich, as far as we were concerned. Then my dad took out a massive loan in 1963. Took an $8,000 loan out and bought a, built a three-bedroom slab house. We lived like kings on two acres next to my grandmother's house. And next to, there was my grandmother's house and our house, and next to the grandmother's house was my uncle's tavern. Hunter's Inn, I've told you the story many times, you've heard it. Uh, Wally's Tavern in Hunter's Inn, excuse me. One bar on one side of the corner, one bar on the other side of the corner, and my best friend's mom and dad owned the one bar, my two aunts and uncles owned the other bar. 
And I got dropped off for 12, actually 13 years at the bars, at the country corner where the bars were. And I would go in as a little boy in those two taverns. Best friend, Rollins' dad owned the Wally's Inn, and my uncles owned the Hunter's, Hunter's Tavern, or I got it backwards, Wally's Tavern at Hunter's Inn. And I went there every day of my life. And I got saved, and I was a 15-year-old boy, 16-year-old boy, and I still got dropped off as a junior in high school. I got dropped off at the bars, and it was 10 yards from the drop-off place to the front doors of the two bars. And I finally got to the point in my life where I realized I'm a child of God. I remember I can't go in these places anymore. I probably had a little Phariseeism and didn't know it by the time, but that's another story. And so I quit going in the bars, and a few weeks I got away with it, and it turned into a few months and so forth. And finally, people noticed, hey, Marty, where, how come you're not coming to the bars anymore? Well, I, I, I basically lied and made excuses. And then uh, finally, they nailed me down and said, oh, you're, you're starting to go to church now. You're one of those great two-shoes, aren't you? We're not good enough for you any longer. And I tried to make excuses, and they, I loved them and so forth, but they didn't understand. And I said, I can't do that. What I used to do, things are getting more out of control as a teenager. And I realized I had to, but fast forward the story. Went up to Bible college, Daniel and Justin, an 18-year-old kid. And I got, after my freshman year, I set out for a whole year of college. And I got so incredibly burdened for all my friends in my former church, especially at Wally's Tavern. And I've always wanted to preach a message. I never got around to preaching a message how bars are like churches. They really are. I'm not joking. The bartender is the pastor. The barmaids and the, the helpers there, the deacons. People come there for their brew, for their song, for their Bible. They come there for their fellowship. A lot of good people. I'm not being facetious at all when I say this. A lot of good people go to bars, taverns. It's where their friends are, their family is. That was the case growing up as kids. And I, I got so burdened for some of my bar people that I knew. And on a Thursday night, uh, we had church visitation. I got so convicted, and I have to fast forward the story. I went to three of these bar people that I knew that were part of my, that I was part of their family, and I no longer became, I was kind of, I excommunicated myself, I guess, communicated myself. But after three, three houses, I went to Ruth Cox's house. Ruth was a 75-year-old barmaid. I think all she knew, the only church she knew was Wally's Tavern, of course. And uh, I went to, it's kind of a funny story, but I went to her door. I knocked on the door. I had hair like this. When I was a kid, I had hair like this, you know. You know, room 2222, uh, Horshack, some of you know, heart starts being hutch. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You old folks know what I'm talking about. And now I'm like this, and I, uglier than ever, of course, but she she opened her door and said, Marty? And she walked, walked me in. Her husband was, uh, I don't know if Ruth had ever been in church in her life. And I had such a burden for Ruth to receive Christ as her Savior. And uh, went through the gospel with Ruth. She got out her husband's World War II government GI uh, mandated or Bible that was given to her by the U.S. government that he wore in his jacket in the U.S. Army in World War II. I took that Bible, I don't know if it was Gideon Bible or not, and I walked through the Romans Road with her and I said, Ruth, would you like to receive Christ as your Savior? 
And she said, yes, I would. I led her in the sinner's prayer. She looked up at me, and I looked up at her, and I don't know who bursted in tears first. I think it was simultaneous. We started to cry. And I wept with that old lady. She died shortly thereafter, a few years later. But the Bible says in Psalm 126, they that sow in tears, the only time we can sow in tears is now, Christian. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed shall, seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his seeds, sheaves with him. We sing that song, Bringing the Sheaves. The application this morning is, Christian, the only hard times we have now, the only scorning we have now, the only sadness we have now, the only sickness we have now, the only poor, poorness, if I could coin a word, it's not a word, huh? that we have, we have right now. But let's cry a little now and rejoice a lot later and forever. The psalmist said in Psalm 30, verse 5, weeping may endure for a moment, but joy comes in the morning. One day, our hearts are going to give out and we're going to meet the Savior forever and ever and ever. And we'll say, not it was worth it all, or it will be worth it all, but we'll sing it was worth it all when we see Jesus. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord Jesus, you gave us this account. Oh, the scoffers mock it. Lord, Satan and doesn't want us to believe for one second there's a real hell that he's going to that was created for the devil and his angels. But Lord, it's real. Lord, nobody ever gets to heaven that isn't first understanding that they're on their way to hell. Nobody ever gets saved that isn't lost. Lord, I pray that you might do a work of grace in someone's heart, several people maybe this morning that need to receive Christ as their Savior. And then, Lord, I pray for those that are saved this morning. Lord, the toughest we'll ever have it, the closest to hell we'll ever get is right now in our three score and ten. Got a little bit of soreness to take care of, a little bit of sadness, a little bit of, a little bit of being poor and a little bit of being scorned. And then there's heaven forevermore. Lord, help us to be found faithful. Help us to work for the night is coming when no man can work. Bless we pray in this moment of invitation we pray. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand together, page two it is. Page two, please, Brother Dave. I just sing verse number one.